By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. I'm Danielle Reed, and this is Moody's Talks Focus on Finance. In today's episode, my co-host Michael Porta will talk to banking team analysts Donald Robertson in New York and Michael Rohr in Frankfurt about the outlook for global banks in 2022. Michael, welcome back to Focus on Finance for the final episode of 2021. Thanks, Danielle. Happy December to you and prospectively, Happy New Year. Michael, the outlook for banks globally for 2022 is stable, which I believe has changed from what was a negative outlook for 2021 in the depths of the pandemic. What's behind the change in outlook? Well, first, Danielle, you're right that the outlook has changed to stable from negative. At a simple level, most individual banks have stable outlooks, 700 of 924 banks rated globally or three quarters of banks. Meanwhile, some systemic risks have abated, which is also positive for banks. During the pandemic, extraordinary government emergency measures to support consumers and businesses helped the banks to maintain good asset quality, which kept loan losses low. And that should continue in 2022 with an economic recovery taking hold. At the same time, banks generally have solid capitalization, improved loan loss reserves, and adequate liquidity to absorb any further residual shock from the pandemic as it plays out. So the banks are pretty well set to deal with the familiar risks of the past year or so. Is there anything coming up to watch out for? Well, inflation will definitely be one thing on the risk radar. Gradual short-term rise in interest rates, which is likely to happen, would help banks to raise their thin net interest margins, which is positive. But prolonged high inflation would begin to depress asset valuations and raise borrowing costs, among other negatives. So something to watch. Got it. But before we hear from Michael and Donald, I'm joined by Svetlana Pavlova of the banking team in Moscow to talk about how demographic trends are affecting banks in emerging markets worldwide. Svetlana, welcome back to Focus on Finance. Thanks, Daniel. It's great to be here again. Svetlana, you wrote a report covering 27 emerging markets countries across the globe, looking at how demographic trends will affect banks in those countries. And the results of your study are pretty interesting, actually. Normally, I think most people associate emerging markets with higher population growth and so high growth of a working age population, which is usually a positive for banks. But that's not what's happening in all these emerging markets you looked at. Could you tell us a little about that? Yes, sure. You're right, Daniel. Indeed, in the majority of emerging markets, including Africa, most of Asia and Latin America, working age populations are still growing. And on the other hand, we have emerging Europe, including Russia, Ukraine, Hungary and Poland. Demographic trends have been negative recently and will remain so going forward. But more interestingly, there is a third group of countries, including most notably China, as well as Thailand, Chile and the United Arab Emirates, for instance, where the trend is changing right now from working age population growth we have seen in the past 20 years to a forecasted decline between now and 2040. So increasingly, we are going to see a divergence in the emerging market space. 
And just to clarify, when you say that the demographic trends have been negative in Russia, Hungary, Ukraine, and Poland, you mean the working age population is also shrinking, and that's generally not a positive for banks, right? Yes, definitely. Shrinking working age population is a negative for banks because working age adults are banks' core customers for their most profitable business segment, which is consumer lending. And more generally, this same group drives economic growth in the country. It drives the demand for goods and services, which in turn drives corporate loan demand. So when the working age population is shrinking, uh, banks are in a difficult position because the demand for their credit declines and their pricing power weakens, and they end up having lower profit margins. So kind of a negative feedback loop there that you're describing. But there are mitigating factors and some steps banks can take to help them offset this trend, right? What are some of those mitigating factors? Yes, absolutely. There are mitigating factors, and some of them are actually under banks' control. And here are three things. First, a very important mitigating factor in many emerging markets is still relatively low level of retail loans uh, relative to GDP, which basically leaves room for growth even when the population is declining. For example, Ukraine has these retail loans to GDP really low at only 5%. Countries like Russia, Hungary, United Arab Emirates are at around 20% of GDP. So banks in these countries still have quite some room to grow retail lending before they start feeling pressure from demographics. Secondly, banks actually have the capacity to help foster greater financial inclusion in their countries by taking more of their services online, which can help them reach a broader customer base. And this means that even as total working age population is declining, the bank's client base can still grow. And this makes digitalization a very important part of bank's strategy in all the markets which face decline in their working age populations. And thirdly, banks have a strategic option to invest in types of businesses that can help them capitalize on the population aging. And examples here include wealth management, retirement planning, or insurance products. And one more point that you raise in the report that I found really interesting. There are some circumstances in which having a rapidly growing working age population is actually not such a good thing because there's a risk of social instability. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, absolutely right. One negative side effect of the rapid growth of young population is that it can put uh, pressure on the job market. And if the job market fails to accommodate all the new entrants, then the level of unemployment in a particular country can go up significantly. And over time, there is a risk that this can increase social tensions. So in a worst case scenario, in some countries, we may see some socially disruptive events such as large-scale protests or armed conflicts. And from the bank's perspective, such events can be really disruptive as we have seen them causing deposit outflows, interruption of payments, and generally increase operational risks. So are there any specific places where you'd say this is a bigger risk right now? We are watching trends in countries such as Nigeria, Egypt, and South Africa because the political risks there are already perceived as high and uh, should rising unemployment add to the existing pressure points, then there is a risk of negative scenario. But in countries such as Turkey, Brazil, and Colombia, there are also similar risks, just populations there aren't growing quite as rapidly. So we don't see the extra pressure from the job market side as being a major risk factor. 
Svetlana, thank you so much for your insights. That's really a fascinating report. And my co-host Michael Porta is back with us now and joining him are Donald Robertson and Michael Rohr of the banking team here to talk about the 2022 outlook for global banks. Thank you, Danielle. Michael, Donald, thank you for joining today to shed light on the credit outlook for banks in 2022 and happy December. Thank you, Michael, and a warm welcome out of the Frankfurt office. Yeah, thanks. Good to be with both Michaels today. So it's been a long, eventful 2021, but the global economy and banks appear to have come through the depths of the pandemic in fairly good shape. Michael, what specifically would you point to as driving the change in outlook on banks to stable from negative? Yes, indeed. 2021 has been a fairly interesting year and 22 is very likely to catch up on it. Now, our consideration of a stable outlook is clearly driven by the continued economic recovery. And although we are faced with new concerns, we will talk about inflation and monetary policy shortly. We believe banks are generally well equipped to maintain solid asset quality, as well as adequate capital and liquidity. At the same time, major central banks scaled up asset purchases during the pandemic to ensure favorable financial conditions. Now, they are likely to balance the risks of transitory inflation against the risk of an adverse market reaction should rates be increased more rapidly than expected. Okay, so it sounds like the bank's fundamentals are good, capital, asset quality, but you mentioned monetary policy and inflation being important factors in the background, so maybe you could expand on that a bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, inflation is, is all over the place, but we believe it's set to level off into 22. Banks would obviously benefit if there is a gradual rise in interest rates in response to higher inflation and yields, simply because they are flush with low-cost deposits and abundant liquidity. This would support the net interest margins and profitability. In the short run, inflation could also benefit banks' asset quality, particularly if borrowers' nominal income or revenue streams strengthen, reducing the real cost of servicing loans. But we have to stay wary of the consequences of higher inflation persisting well into 2022 and potentially beyond, since this would weigh on asset valuation and borrowing costs. So banks have pretty solid fundamentals, all things considered, but the economy's recovery is a little uneven, and there could still be some surprises in store from the pandemic with spillover effects for credit. Right, Donald? Could any of those move the outlook to negative, in your opinion? Not in 2022, based on where we currently are with the stable outlook, but to your point, Michael, a sustained slowdown in the global economy could trigger that. So what comes to mind there is, you know, for example, new COVID variants that might severely disrupt growth, although an existing base case scenario does incorporate an expectation that the exit from the pandemic will be bumpy and unpredictable. Another thing to look at is the withdrawal of policy support before the economic recovery becomes self-sustaining, which would be a problem for banks and the broader economies, and also a broad increase in default rates, but we expect default rates to stay relatively low in 2022. Another thing to think about is how central banks manage the transition to a post-COVID economy, and should there be drastic, unexpected shifts in policies that might certainly disrupt markets, that could cause surprises, for example, with more pronounced tightening than might be expected, could cause asset price corrections, and might cause investors to recalibrate their risk expectations and induce market volatility, all of which would be bad for banks. 
Thinking longer term, Michael, we always have to keep in mind the effects of possible disruption to banks' business models from big technology companies and emerging fintech companies as well. Thanks, Donald. So some risks in the background, but not likely to materialize over our outlook period of the next 12 to 18 months. Michael, this is a global outlook, so I think it may be worth asking, will the effects of these downside risks be even across regions, or are there particular regions that are more at risk? Thank you, Michael. It's a good question, actually. It's pointed out in our latest MacroBot forecasts. We believe the recovery will be multi-speed and diverge across countries and regions. We see a more pronounced slowdown in the economy next year in Latin America, South Africa, and Russia. So for these regions, it'll be key to combat the pandemic, overcome political risks, as well as supply chain imbalances to regain a more solid growth path. In Asia, the more diversified economies and those with higher vaccination rates will grow faster relative to pre-pandemic years. Examples include Australia, Thailand and Indonesia. But there are also economies with slower medium-term growth rates, with China being one example. In China, the economic growth will decelerate because of deleveraging and rebalancing efforts and challenges among some property firms. Thanks. It, you know, so it sounds like the pandemic is reshaping some economies, and you've also mentioned policy shifts. Those happen to be two of the global themes that we reference in our research. Another is debt sustainability. So there's still the possibility of shocks, particularly to asset quality. So, Donald, are rising corporate and household debt levels an immediate or significant threat to borrower repayment capacity and bank asset quality? Not at the moment, Michael. It's certainly true that debt grew much faster during the pandemic than during the financial crisis, for example. A number I saw recently was growth of $37 trillion in 2020 and 2021 to date, but that has begun to stabilize, and that was really led by governments borrowing as well as non-financial corporate debt. Household debt itself growth was limited to emerging economies. So it's true that if, you know, if sustained higher debt levels and more relaxed underwriting standards would add to banks' asset risks, and that could become problematic if growth prospects start to dim and corporate earnings and household incomes suffer. But we expect default rates to remain low in 2022 because of the high market liquidity and the still very low favorable interest rates for borrowers that exist in most regions. We think this will continue to support asset quality and capital for banks throughout the advanced economies and in the strongest emerging markets as well. Thanks, Donald. So asset quality generally under control. You had mentioned earlier that in the background, there is also the competitive risk from new entrants, fintechs and big techs. So, Michael, do you think there are any particular opportunities or threats from new technology for banks? Well, thank you, Michael. First of all, digitization could be quite positive since it generally allows for productivity gains and improved customer satisfaction if done correctly. But as you said, competition is getting stronger and stronger with innovators occupying important niches of financial services, including offering deposits, loans and brokerage. So this transformation will continue to reshape the industry and increase the risk of disintermediation of financial services. And with this comes increased exposure to cyber risks, where banks need to continue building up defenses to safeguard their clients' data and minimize reputational as well as operational risks. A positive observation we can share here from our latest cyber survey is 
that banks of all sizes and credit strength are increasing cybersecurity investments meaningfully. You know, another key concern for banks and really all economic sectors is helping map a path to net zero carbon emissions. Donald, couple of questions on this. How exposed are banks to carbon transition risk? What steps are they going to need to take to rise to the challenge? And finally, what role is regulatory change playing in all this? Yeah, Danielle, these are very broad questions and very important ones, I'm sure, for many years to come. Policies and political pressures are rising to meet these commitments, and we think this will increasingly shape bank business models, and they'll have to rebalance their lending and their investment portfolios to meet these expectations. We think the effects of that will be felt particularly in emerging economies that have the most carbon-intensive industries. And in fact, we recently began publishing ESG issuer profile and credit impact scores that explain how ESG factors affect bank ratings. And what we said there is in the large majority of the banks that we looked at in our first grouping, these have moderately negative exposure to environmental risk, and that's really driven by their carbon transition risk. And that really affects possible declines in loan quality or asset prices as the economy decarbonizes. But we also think that most banks can mitigate these risks quite well through actively managing their portfolios over the relatively long period of time over which these risks may develop. And on a more positive note, Danielle, there's going to be a a lot of government stimulus to foster green infrastructure finance, and banks can play a leading role in helping do that. And so that presents them with a very good opportunity. And we expect more than $1 trillion of green social and sustainability bond issuance in 2021, which would be up about 63% from the previous year. I think we'll be talking a lot more in the coming months and years about the path to net zero. Donald, Michael, and Svetlana, thank you so much for your insights. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. To read any of the reports referenced in this episode, you can click the link for this episode at about.moody's.io slash podcasts. This is going to be the last episode of Focus on Finance for 2021. Please tune in again on Wednesday, January 12th, 2022, and have a restful holiday season. 